0: Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International podcast. If you're new here, this is the podcast that brings you incredible insight on global issues such as international relations, defense, security, uh, economy, environment, and much, much more. Of course, it's produced for Strategy International, a global think tank and consulting group uh, that is doing fantastic things, and we're going to get into that a little bit further uh, on. You can visit Strategy International. At strategyinternational.org for all information speaking of experts we have quite possibly the man over here the the, the best the the one and only founder and ceo of strategy international dr mario Eftiniopoulos. he also acts as senior consultant for international uh security and strategy He's an associate professor of international security and strategy and also the head of Department of History, Politics, and International Studies at the Neapolis University in Paphos in Cyprus. Marios, how are you? That was a long intro.
1: <laughs> thank you, George. Um, many thanks for hosting me one more time at Strategy International. And thank you very much for the job that you've been doing so far. And I'm glad that you're the host for uh uh, a great series that is now developing, and I hope we're going to have a lot of people coming soon uh, to to your series in order to be able to talk and discuss international affairs and uh, as things progress um, in all ranges of politics, sociology, economics, uh, technology, and goes on and on and on it's It's quite incredible. I
0: mean, I've, uh, you're you're definitely getting uh, messages as well because I am, so I would assume that you're getting uh, messages as well. It's incredible the information and the knowledge that uh, the guests have uh, have uh, have contributed to uh, from all over the world. Uh, I'm obviously getting more messages from here in Canada, but obviously, I have friends and family living abroad as well that follow. And uh, it's quite fascinating to be able to pick people's brains uh, depending on their specialization and their expertise and to talk about these issues that I guess people like us follow. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, politics isn't everyone's uh, favorite thing to do, to follow and to to read. Um, But the ones that do really take a lot of value with the content. And uh, I appreciate you uh, having me here and... uh, Sending me off uh, over all these experts uh, that uh, that take time out of their busy schedule to to give this information, this value
1: to the listeners and to the viewers. I mean, one of the things we need to say is that think the Strategy International has its own part of the think tank where we do political analysis, but mostly policy, and policy would include assessments forecasting, risk assessment, and goes on and on. Now, in order to do that, we need the collaboration of the international community. And I think that's where we're getting in. Um, the idea was, and still is, that Strategy International will play a pivotal role uh, with regards to the think tanks, basically the thinking, the mentality, the promotion, the presentation, the proposals towards not only national governments, but also international governments therefore applying itself to the perspective of governance all around the world. So the idea is that we have a blend of civilizations and also blend of different knowledges and different people from different parts of the world that have the capability and capacity to to, to discuss and be heard through our platforms. Uh, Obviously, um, each project is both different and autonomous with regards to the way that it's operated within Strategy International, but at the same time connect. So the idea was to take everything and have from written to audio to visualize it through our YouTube channel and also the podcast channels that we have, and at the same time have the opportunity to discuss current, ongoing, and historical affairs. Now the idea is to not just be just another think tank that actually promotes. Uh, the analysis part, but actually does policy. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to create the perspective and to create the processes that will help us, A, to understand the world, B, to help create opportunities through challenges, and three, to comprehend how the world works collectively and in regions uh, individually and not nations individually, and help out the discussion of civilizations to render the world a bit more friendly um, to the market, friendly to societies, friendly to the dreams and ideas that all people have with regard to their development, their personal development, professional development, goes on. So Strategy International aims to play a pivotal role with international organizations, institutions, universities, and all other companies, and goes on and on and on, in order to help them acquire the accurate knowledge that will give them a very good clarity of how things are going, where are we moving at, and how things will develop. Uh, It is not easy. It is not easy. It is not easy for a lot of reasons. First of all, we have diverse cultures. So we have to learn how to operate amongst us, um, do the in-house evaluations, and eventually develop. And I think that's a success story within the first year. Uh, We have managed, to organize ourselves in such a way that we bring different cultures, different genders um, uh, together. Um, We bring different technological equipment that we are now utilizing, such as a podcast, for example, that we have right now, while also we distribute and become an open source of information with regard to several topics, either regional or different topics of global concern. And at the same time, we are attempting to bring people together, to think, to collaborate, to cooperate, and to make people aware what's really going on and what can we do uh, from this point onwards. Um, Strategy International has everything on its website. And the idea is to be an open source of information for people to know exactly what's happening. Now, at the same time, we need to be frank that Strategy International is a work in progress. It is only a year, and it has a vision for decades to come.
0: How was Everyone- that? For, sorry to interrupt you. Let's just go back and talk a little bit about this first year. Obviously, it, like in any business or uh, or organization, it's often the most challenging time, right? Setting everything, put every, putting everything in place, finding the right people, the collaborations, the partnerships. Uh, how was this first year for you? How,
1: how did you see it? Great. Uh, how did things evolve? Great. I, w- I would never anticipate such a fast growth of operations, such a fast growth of uh, competency. And the idea that you have to have the right people makes a complete equation that gave you a complete result over the first year. So to go even in more details, we spent a great deal of time setting up the technicalities and the operational framework. And then we went on to basically working with the human capacity of the people that we have at Strategy International. Now we're going into the policy, the creation, the perspectives, the developments, uh and at the same time the services and the third stage will be the the development of the business the strategic implementation and even more investment into um the idea that makes strategy international a global think tank what is the challenge that we are attempting to be global we don't want to be solely local or regional and that requires great deal of people with great knowledge from their own expertise, from their own regions that know, that see, that can visualize and transpire this visualization to the rest of the world. And in this case, Strategy International works as a link and as a network. Eventually, Strategy International will start its own big events, uh, meetings, closed sessions, open sessions, conferences, our annual conference, and so on and so forth. And we aim to become Um, a a point of contact a point of different places um, and people to be at because the idea is to be also mobile so we also aim to be um, and invite people to come and visit uh, where we are, what we do and how we express ourselves and to see how it is to, to work in a truly international environment. Now obviously nothing can be achieved unless there is science inside and i say the science because um i'm i'm a professor myself so uh, the the scientific value is an added value that gives also a bridge between theory and practice that is also a bridge between understanding comprehending and making you know going back steps in order to 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 basically organize ourselves um, in in a way that is both complete in the services that are provided, in, in the whole reports that are created, in the whole opinions are shaped towards those who are going to read it, and that includes from ordinary people to business people, to political affairs, to international organizations, to universities, and it goes on and on and on. That's why Strategy International should be um, a, a, a path. Um, an organization that unites, that bridges, and that networks. And I think these values uh, are embedded, I think, in in many think tanks, but the extra value that we add into this, that we're trying to do it globally.
0: It's an incredible long-term vision that you have uh, for Strategy International. For this year, what are the priorities that you've set? So what do you want to accomplish in 2023?
1: Growth. (laughs) Growth. Uh, growth in human capabilities, human capacity, more publications, more accuracy in publications, more quantitative uh information. Um, um we are going to we're organizing some some extra stuff uh they're going to have the opportunity to to bring us in the forefront of um of of, of visualizing what we do further discussions um meetings and conferences but These are the strategic goals for 2023. It does not mean that all will be achieved. That's why at the end of the year, we have a meeting of our board to to showcase what has been achieved and what is yet to be achieved. And the best thing is that I would like everybody that uh, collaborates or works with Strategy International to do it because they believe in it and to do it because they feel like doing it rather than being told to do it, uh, because we also need to share the how the market changes because COVID-19 has shown that there is a very silent revolution, if I can call it like this, of people thinking, what am I doing in this job? How do I change it? How do I change my mentality? How do I make myself more happy? So happiness uh, is, is embedded. Tolerance is embedded. Uh, Gender equality is embedded, and at the the center of it is networking and understanding, comprehension of diversity of cultures, languages, um, and and proceeding with this to be more specific, more exclusive to the information that is created, to the way that it's disseminated, meaning technologically or uh, word of mouth, if you want to call it like this, and participating. Uh, participatory in the sense of how to participate with more institutions and so forth so the idea on the second year is that the the third year is business development and the third year will be more uh, acquainted into uh, more agreements more collaboration goes on and on and the growth of the services that we provide both at, at the consulting firm and the think tank but also the primarily the understanding and the comprehension of the world, how it goes. Because I think if we if we establish um, the vision, for example, for the next year to come, then we're going to be much more clearer what to expect, positive or negative, from all sides of the market uh, in order to be able to understand uh, where things are going and to be ready for anything, positive or negative.
0: Let me pick your brain a little bit for the people watching or listening. Um On different issues, uh, different things that have happened over the last year, you are obviously an expert on NATO affairs, NATO issues, and obviously 2022 was quite a busy year for NATO. I think everyone all over the world has been following closely the developments happening in Eastern Europe between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, So many moving parts in that conflict that have developed quite a bit in the last year. Are you at all surprised that this conflict is still ongoing?
1: No, not at all. I said it from day one that this is going to take years. I even went on on national TV and uh, both in Cyprus that we are and in Greece. And I said that this is for the long term. I've said it from the beginning. And I said it based on the evaluation of how the Russians usually operate in this kind of warfare, where they invade other territories or where they feel threatened to invade other territories. It goes on and on and on. It has a... this is a scientific value i think this is this is where we add the scientific value now there are on on either sides uh there are characteristics and variables that define the length of this war Uh, ukraine has been invaded and that's illegal assuming that the war ends today then you start court cases And these are going to take for years. And then also the rebuild for any kind of, assuming that they go back, assuming that they give up and they go back, or even assuming that there is some sort of negotiation, the war ends. And you're talking also about the development uh, of these areas, process, and goes on and on. Um, We're not even there yet. We are there at different levels of discussion so we can stop atrocities from developing further and continuing war. Now, the second thing is that he called it, the President Putin called it as a special operation for a reason. Obviously it's a war. It's not a special operation. But this defines a lot the way that the international community can react in case somebody calls this a war. and that I'm talking from the Russian point of view. Um, the Russians have been have been keeping special operations. As two examples, for example, uh, to add an example to it, um, the 70s war of the Soviet Union in Afghanistan uh, that went for a decade, and also the war of Russia into Chechnya for a decade. And the irony is, look how years change and go by, and now you have the Chechens fighting for the Russians in Ukraine. But until then, Chechnya was under war between Russia and the, the, the Chechens for over 10 years. So they believe, I believe that the Russians believe that they can sustain this kind of uh, warlike situation in a dead man's zone, basically, for years to come until one day there is some sort of negotiations that might stop the conflict and somehow bring them as winners out of this special operation. In both political- um, yeah, go ahead. Finish we within the spectrum, the the Western world has reacted for Ukraine, providing massive amounts of weapons and massive amounts of money to sustain the economy, because you can understand the economy is a disaster zone, so somebody has to sustain it to keep it running until they can actually rebuild from the beginning. But you understand that this generation of people including probably the new generation coming will have to live in very very difficult situations which are going to be shown as an opportunity to rebuild ukraine and put ukraine into a path of euro atlantic integration or if you want only european integration this matter we're talking about 10 to 15 years again assuming that the war is over today Mm -hmm. and this is not going to stop because on the field the hate is big death rate is emerging from either sides and this is no good at the same time you have a new shape of the market economy globally locally in the periphery around ukraine that has shaped again and has an impact also in the middle east in north africa in south europe in southeast europe and goes on and on and on also in asia and therefore the market is now being reshaped which means that once it's reshaped I mean, there's not specification of when it's going to be reshaped, but the fact that we are seeing a fluctuation between energy prices going up, down, and goes on and on, or trade agreements, or the way that direct trade agreements are now being included, uh, and how they've been done, or the shaping of new alliances, this says that this area is being somehow bypassed, because while we attempt and we expect and we want to terminate this war, uh, uh, positive for ukraine at this point this war will take years to come and i presumed i made a forecast that this will not end be- before 2026 2027 and that being said that the diplomatic negotiations may take for a year year and a half where 2023 2023 plus a year 24 plus half 24 and a half the announcement and the waiting to establish the whole process, assuming that the United Nations will take the process onwards in order to stop all the atrocities on the ground, this will take 25. And then the application of um, um, of this peace Accord Peace Treaty that will take approximately no less than a year, going to 26. The more time goes by, more backwards we're going into the process of, of bringing some somehow some some sort of 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 peace in the region uh assuming again that there is peace then what you're going to be looking at is hate and that hate cannot be bridged at this point or near near next months or next years there are hundreds of thousands of people dead on either side, and that remains and somehow this will not be able to be bridged easily. That's it. Interesting. Uh, I just want to go back to the examples you gave
0: of Chechnya and Afghanistan in comparison to what we're seeing now. We haven't seen the support of you know the Western world uh, in you know, as involved in those other two conflicts. Uh, we saw almost from the very beginning, Uh, incredible amounts of sanctions being imposed uh, on Russia. You mentioned uh, the the arms that are being sent into Ukraine and, of course, the money to help uh, with its economy. Are these sanctions even... Do they even have any effect whatsoever uh, on the matter?
1: They They have an effect, truly so. But we cannot also say that they have the effect that we expect it to have for one simple reason, that there are other global powers, such as China, that sustain the trade, the missions, and other things militarily towards uh, the agreement of having Russia to sustain this war for years to come. Number two, Russia as a geographical region is one-eighth of the world's land. so It's a big country, and therefore it has a lot of resources to sustain itself somehow. The damage that has been done, they are running to somehow control it. And while they're running to control it, they're using third pillar countries. And I say third pillar by saying those are not within the Euro-Atlantic um, umbrella, if you if I can say that. And they're trying to establish new agreements, either direct or indirect, uh, bilateral or multilateral, in order to establish a framework of economy that that meets the needs directly of Russia. While also we have the tendency not to understand how Russians think, but trying to understand how Russian thinks with a Western way, which I think, I guess it's wrong. And I'm not the first one to say that. There are other better scientists uh, than me that have said that before that the way that we comprehend Russia may be the Western way of comprehension, but it may not be the way that the Russians think. So if we want to learn how the Russians think and act, we must see the reasoning behind those things that they're doing. I'm not saying they're correct. I'm totally against it. It's wrong to invade another country, a sovereign state. But the way that they've done it, the process, the years... The, the, the political process, the announcement, whether this was in international forums or whether this was in, 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 the, in the United Nations or other forms of alliances or the shaping of alliances, somehow created over the years a case. And this case has now been used by Russia to somehow prove to itself, first of all, in citizens, that what they're doing is right. Now, they're not right. They're wrong. And they're wrong because these are not the ethics and the values of either Europe or the Euro-Atlantic umbrella. And I'm mean, in this case, I'm talking about NATO. It is also true that several mistakes have been done throughout this way of bilateral relation between the West and Russia, where on the, on, on the first side, we never agreed what's the role of Russia in the Eurasian region. But then again, we aspired to buy cheaper energy petrol and gas from russia because it was cheaper to import it in europe rather than utilize our own national resources so what are the lessons to be learned that all countries are now seeking their own national resource to be used and exploited by all means necessary and you can understand that the cost is totally higher than what it was it was before this war that's number one and number two everybody's speeding in order to have good bilateral relations, in meeting new standards and probably new technologies that will allow them to be more closely related with sustainability, the environmental protection, while at the same time somehow create a circular economy, digital or analogic energy secure energy economy that is sustaining and therefore all the the credentials for which to, to create and sustain an economy is valued as positive towards the attribution first of all for the nation and second of all for the institutional organization that they belong to and in this case I'm, I'm showcasing the european union
0: i want to i want to um, wrap up the, the, that whole conflict uh, how do you see this conflict uh, evolving um you know we're seeing allies uh from the very beginning sending artillery uh this week we saw the deal with the tanks um do you think that we're going to reach a point where we're actually going to see boots on the ground.
1: You mean Western boots? Yes. Because th- there are already Western boots, but these are voluntary. Exactly. Western boots. Uh, if you're talking about uh, organized armies, there is a specific way and reason that will allow NATO, for example, to be involved. NATO cannot be involved legally to an out area operation unless there is an agreement through the Security Council of the United Nations that provides a clear mandate to NATO to be involved. Uh, And this is not the case. And therefore, at this point, the countries and NATO give technological help, support, training, uh, and weaponry. Uh, The armed forces that are there are either voluntary uh, or those that went to join the forces of Ukraine in order to help them uh, by all means necessary. Uh, Officially, I do not see um, foreign forces, meaning NATO forces, being involved because again it differs the ways the values and the ethics that we comprehend an element of war NATO takes c- quite seriously what is happening I think uh what is happening towards Ukraine and they know that what Russia does is wrong but uh an opposite to opposite side NATO versus Russia will become some sort of a, of a doomsday. Uh, because basically you will be operating if they find each other opposite to each other uh, on, a, on a third area which is Ukraine. so they would they would fight probably um, for the reason why NATO was created and uh, NATO was created to keep the Russians out. So if they operate to keep the Russians out, you understand that then we're talking for an all open war. And I, but I think I don't think this will will be the case. But I also do not believe that the Russians will also stop because probably they know that NATO cannot take a decision per se to to say enough is enough. We'll put troops now in, and I think that's why they're playing it the way that they play because they feel that strategically they're playing it safe mm. while they. Playing it safe, they have created a zone within the eastern part of Ukraine, which will be a dead zone, and that will basically be enough space at point of negotiations to probably keep some of the of the the areas that they gained illegally from Ukraine, while having a dead zone which will extend, let's say, for about three hundred kilometers from north to south, uh, as you see the map obviously this is not acceptable from any any way any point but i also think that ukraine's leadership somehow uh, needs to find some sort of solution and somehow allow either sides to to go on the table of negotiations because the more the war is sustained the more difficult financially and politically it will be for president zelensky to basically bring uh ukraine into the freedom path again which he promised in the beginning that he would not stop until russia is out now if we put in the equation that russia will sustain this war can sustain this war up to 10 years you can understand how things will go uh there's no there's no clarity at this point there are a lot of discussions under the table that have been trying to bring sides together i do not think to, to sit down and negotiate. I do not think they're succeeding at this point because either sides have a clear mandate. The one is to keep the area and the other one is to make sure that these intruders uh, invaders uh, go back to where they came from.
0: Interesting. Uh, let's move closer to the Mediterranean because I've been following you. You've been active uh, on uh, various Greek media. You're also publishing a lot um the east mediterranean has been boiling for a long time and it seems And even though people that have been following the region are accustomed to the provocations uh between <clears throat> turkey and greece and cyprus and in general in that region it feels as though they have taken a measure that we've never seen before am, am i wrong to assume that or is this just an everyday thing
1: i mean th- there is a theoretical perspective that says that within and i think i mentioned somehow Earlier, that within the the spectrum of reforming the whole economy, you also reform alliances, and you reform the geostrategical map as it develops, and more so for Greece or for, uh, for Turkey. For that matter, I'm talking in terms of Ukraine war and the, the anticipation. This is an uh, the Ukraine war is another problem in reality because it brought instability and volatility all around the world. And more so to the Black Sea area and also the Southeast Med. And also in the Aegean area, because now Turkey utilizes this as an opportunity to threaten Greece. Mm -hmm. So the geostrategic variables that define what is security have not been changed. And therefore, interests have changed. And therefore, alliances are now changing due to the fact that we need to clarify what are the things that bring a country single country not only stable but also keeping the flow of a market to develop so we bring all the needs that are necessary to keep the market run developing and make sure that there are no Other vibes, negative vibes that may come inside, because it's not only the war, it's the ongoing wars in other areas like in Africa or in Central Asia, and goes on and on and on, that has a direct negative impact to European states, including also Greece and Cyprus. And this is the illegal migration issue, as an example. And another issue is that if you want to have agreements on other things, such as the exclusive economic zones, or the collaboration in bilateral relations on trade, or airspace, this creates difficulty because you do not know how the environment is now developing. And we are in a state of flux. And basically, the good news is that it's good that we are part of the European Union because the European Union ensures within its organization, in its own landscape, geographical landscape, that ensures peace and therefore calm, Therefore, negotiation. Therefore, uh democratic uh, agreements and disagreements, uh, and ultimately a result that may have an, a positive impact to all the members of the European Union. Similarly, for other allies like uh, Israel or um, the United States, which through this agreements, trade, political, military, and so on and so forth, they continue to develop and be competitive to a market that is. Uh, very aggressive in the world uh, in in the world trade affairs. At this point, what you are seeing is an aggressive, uh, uh, you know, added value that comes from from the Asia part towards the West, where even more billionaires are now located in Asia than in the Western world, and where there is a a you know a, a back and front you know fight on who gets what where and when, basically with agreements. And these, again, until they are completed, everything is somehow being put in a pause while we understand how the world shapes. So in the next year, we're going to see a lot of those um, new geostrategical alliances being built and somehow, not alliances, but somehow collaborations, strategic collaborations, and goes on and on and on because they are an added value. And as I said earlier, the third pillar is a great winner from this. And the third pillar are not West, not Russia or the allies of Russia. They like the, the the engaged allies of Russia to this war in Ukraine, but those that have a merit from both sides where they can trade through them, and that's the new path of the economy of society and goes on. And on. If we translate this into political uh, events, it is of no coincidence. For example that Greece, along with Cyprus, has trilateral alliances with Middle Eastern states, North African states, and goes on and on, and that they they are trying to have a more inclusive strategic cooperation. As an example, the collaboration that we have uh, with the United Arab Emirates is a strategic collaboration that I'm expecting this to emerge into a more strategic collaboration, uh, a greater level of strategic collaboration that we can call it a pure and direct alliance. Now, the alliance format will be based on something that's quite different from other centuries or decades, in this case, is that we will be building steadily based on our interests, which should be joint, give and take at an equal value of 50-50. And I think this is the way that things are progressing. Uh, And it's not only Greece or the Emirates or Cyprus or Israel. You see it with other countries. You see it with the attempts of what is happening now due to the environmental crisis because climate, uh, you know, the environmental crisis is even bigger than wars. Um, and they do not, you know, this create has created already big problems in countries that are going to disappear because they're tiny islands. And because of the rise of the water and the temperature, they're going to disappear uh, to to deforestations, to massive difference of, of climate I mean I live in an area where we should have seen snow uh, about a few months ago we just seen snow a couple of a uh, couple of uh, weeks ago it should have been more colder every every year we hear that we are going 1.5 Celsius every year higher and higher and higher this creates uh, more epidemics. And the pandemic is still not over, which is something that people have the tendency to forget. The pandemic also has the tendency to change. But then again, we're more equipped and more acquainted to what we should expect until some new pandemic comes along or until a new war comes along and starts reshaping again the market. So what is coming out from this is that these countries should have an autonomy in strategic thinking, in strategic operation, in all fields not only military or political or foreign affairs, but financial, because without those, you cannot do a great deal of, fin- of, of foreign policy or defense policy. So you need the finances. You need society. You need demographics. Europe, for example, is aging. And Russia is aging as well, by the way. And Russia has now more casual than it was anticipated. And um, you need to understand the complexities at the time when everything, all discussions are open, interfaith dialogue is open, tolerance is open, gender equality is open. So all these things, although they're positive in nature and bringing more equilibrium and democracy and freedom of operations, also we are now being challenged for the values and the ethics we represent. Right. And it is no coincidence that this division of line that has been now established has been established between those that believe X and those that believe Y.
0: I want to focus a little bit more on the region, <clears throat> just so you know, our viewers or listeners can understand uh, from your knowledge what what is the end game here for Turkey. I mean, it's it's been well known, obviously, for 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 decades now that you know Turkey, you know, on the political stage enjoys playing high-risk poker all right, high-stakes poker uh however now in the last couple of years it feels as though it's playing those high-stakes pokers uh poker on different tables um we we, we see them involved in uh, in the latest nato expansion between sweden and finland they, they have their cards on that ge- in that game as well uh the f-35 program that is still up in the air uh they're making deals with libya that are obviously illegal their involvement in syria which has in my opinion caused this um this issue with the migrants going into europe uh through turkey uh their involvement in Artzak with our uh, azerbaijan uh they're in bed with russia they're threading the Greece and Cyprus in the Mediterranean. What what is the end game when when they're looking at the map? What is the calculation? What, what does Turkey want to get out of this?
1: This is what Turkey is. This is you, you just explained it quite quite well. They they're not they're not playing only poker. They think they're cashing out. They think they want some sort of game within the poker games, and they're trying to cash out. Because over the over the decades, they've been doing a very good job with military affairs and with the relations with NATO. And many many years, they've been operating on behalf of alliances or the alliances of the willing or other alliances that are being shaped. And they've been craving to be part of it because they thought that this is the way that they would gain the respect of the international community. And in fact somehow they did because their economy was not strong. Do not forget that they uh, had left uh, from the IMF. I think that was back in 2016 when they had repaid their complete debt and then again a new debt started but that was the debt that they owned towards the IMF. while at the same time they built on a, on a on a on, a, um, uh, on an economy and an industry that they said they needed because they are trying to play a more global role. While they do that, they need to create the reasons to do those changes, whether these are legal or political or financial or industrial or technological and goes on and on and on. So they found the excuse that everybody's a threat. And whatever threat this is, we should be asked. But again, the policy of Turkey vis-a-vis the world is not new. The difference in Turkey's case is that somehow... They have a steady tactic, a steady strategy, but their tactics change over the decades. Imagine that the policy of Turkey into Africa has been there since 1994. It is not new, and because it is, it is not new. There, they are of belief that they should do something alike that will project them more power, more presence through infrastructures, bigger embassies uh mega projects, involvement in mega projects, investments, and goes on and on. An example case now in Somalia. They overturned a defense pact that the United Arab Emirates had with Somalia in order to establish their own uh bigger embassy in Africa, one of the biggest in the world, and at the same time train the defense forces of Somalia. Why would they go to Somalia? Because of, on the location, because of the people, because of the needs. They found out that they have more interest in Libya. Why? Because they wanted to push Greece or Egypt, for example, in, in, a, in a state of, um, you know, of, of, of fighting with, you know, according to what they say, fighting for for their, uh, their rights. But obviously they have a problem establishing and understanding where land is because they even divided half of, of, of Crete like it wasn't there. Or Castellorizo, so they just uh, dis- made it disappear from the map or things like that. And, and you know, the, the, the response is that they should do an exclusive economic zone with the Philippines. Maybe they can do that as well. But uh, they have these sort of things. They have this sort of thinking. Uh, it is of no coincidence that they are seeking ports for a new, uh, for, for a new um, ship that they had, that they, they think that they would have equipped this with an F-35 on top of it um which would have gone all around the world and somehow showcase that they have uh, a big cruise ship that can go in, in in seas away from the mediterranean uh or the black sea itself um so th- there are there are other expectations turkey opened up in the latin america over the last decades they opened up into china they've done an amazing job with regards to railway path from beijing to to constantinople uh, and it, it's it's really interesting and fascinating because if somebody goes back to history, there used to be this kind of line. You could have gone from, from Beijing to Constantinople by train, but they just somehow inaugurated as a big element of connecting tie between Turkey and China. Now, with respect to Europe, they probably realized that they will not become part of the European Union the way that they act. And probably this is the way why they act like this. So on the one hand, they want to have good relations with Europe because Europe invests into Turkey for a lot of reasons, whether it's the European Commission or the European Parliament, the European um, uh, Development Bank or Construction Bank or you name it, and direct trade investments and business investments uh, of of entrepreneurs and business people from Europe into Turkey. And while they do that, they they presented a cheaper labor market, a, a cheaper economy that they could have sustained, and somehow they realized that the Europeans may need them. At the same time, they wanted to project a more negotiation role, considering the old-fashioned, you know, Anatolic style of uh, negotiations, and therefore let's bring the, the Ukrainians and Russians here. And what do they gain? Access to the ports of Odessa, access to the to several ports that Russia may have, or even Crimea, and somehow get an authority uh, by trading and trading more goods and transporting more goods. They've utilized the the uh, the, the Turkish Straits uh, at this point within within the, the the two sides of the city of Constantinople. and at the same time they think they can negotiate somehow their own terms, not not actually negotiate, but somehow plot their terms into the Cyprus issue, assuming that they can reshape their relations with Israel while getting uh, a government plotted into control into Syria and at the same time somehow uh establishing their themselves into Afghanistan into a post uh uh you know into what happened um and putting themselves into a post where they can control even Afghanistan and their relations uh, their relationship would which would have gone into a a third a three-way uh China uh Turkey and Qatar uh so in the middle east in the, in the arab gulf they they believe that they can approach the arabs with more investment through food and cultural affairs and even religious affairs uh they are always the first to be um uh, you know to 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 claim that they have rights, uh, religious rights on whether somebody respects or does not respect their own religion. And somehow they've been trying to plot their own ideologies into areas where there are a lot of Turkish minorities um, in in Europe, namely, for example, in Germany. And you can see a very recent book of one of the Pulitzer Prizes uh, journalists who have published a a way that how Turkey operates with the mosques, uh, starting from Munich, goes on and on and on. So um, you know, Turkey has a very fixed strategy to be shown everywhere. It is of no coincidence, for example, that they renovated their central uh headquarters outside the United Nations in New York, in the place that they had where they renovated into so this grandioso style. So this is a mixture between operational um um capacity with communicational capacity with public relations in Washington uh throughout these years and goes on and on probably through the the years they have done a lot of mistakes uh and now they have a more organized and clear, um, opposite side which includes armenians includes greeks includes uh europeans that now includes americans and goes on that they've now figured out that hey you know something's wrong with them so we have allowed them to 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 start saying we're more organized we're more you know uh globalized at the same time but what we're seeing is a very very um threatening situation for the democracy of turkey if somebody wishes to have a democracy in turkey therefore it is of no coincidence of this publication of the economist uh not because they believe that turkey is not capable so i'm not talking about the people i'm talking about the way that the government believes that the rest of the world thinks of turkey it is also of no coincidence that they wanted to change now the name of turkey into turkey so What's the point? What What was the point of doing this? They do not uh, mix us up with other things. Like it's okay, interesting. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you not, bring up the they're article. Not feeling safe. I, I I believe that they're not feeling safe.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: not ready to have a good collaboration on equal terms with their neighbors, whoever this neighbor may be. They think that they can bring back something that is long gone. And by the way, they lost the war. The Ottoman Empire was split. Uh, they lost the wars one after the other, so you can't bring back something because you're raised after values where you devalue the other one and you disrespect the other one. Because the way that Erdogan has been treating leaders, including the 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 Prime Minister of Greece, for example, is totally and utterly disrespectful.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's 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 interesting that you bring up the article in the Economist. I had that uh, in my in my questions here because in a recent article, they they allude to the idea that Turkey may be drifting into a dictatorship. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: It, this is, I mean, I initially, uh, you know, you remember in two thousand sixteen, they they attempted to overthrow Erdogan. And the the whole world went out to them and said, "This is not right." You know, there are democratic rules. If you want to do that, you can make a political party. You can claim for this. Now, I claimed at that time that fine, this is not right, but be careful on the way that he's going to treat his own people. He's choking his people. He's choking his in all levels and all sectors. And by doing that, he's centralizing powers. And by doing centralization of powers, he brings back old ideologies that he can be some sort of a leader with a different name. If not a president, something else. He diminished the powers of the prime minister. Don't forget that. Yeah. Give more exclusive powers to the president, and at the same time, he's been doing his own business by making himself more rich in order to establish himself as a power as a power person. Even after um, like he comes out of of of, of the presidential uh, position, um, we are now talking about Erdogan. We're not even talking about Turkey because Turkey, in in a good way. In a Western way, the Western side of Turkey would understand that their future may be in the European Union as long as they uh, adopt the values and the ethics of the Aki community And one thing is for sure, democracy rules, clearly. You negotiate with your neighbors and partners. By the way, you don't get to choose your neighbors. And number three, know that Greece is on the right path because they're the right neighbors. Now, I'm asking you, how many years can Greece tell them this again and again and again? They're fighting the Armenians by supporting the Azerbaijanis in Akhtar, while they have interests with Azerbaijan. It is not only because they believe they should support Azerbaijan. So I see them as opportunists. And an opportunist can be autocratic. An autocracy can lead you, if it's not the way that it's comprehended in a democracy, into a dictatorship. And the more extreme and fanatism that you do and you implement into this religious dialogue that he has with ongoing inside this country, the more fanatism you create and therefore more hate you create towards the rest of the world. Now, is there a potential for change? Absolutely. And that's why you have elections. And that's why The Economist published this, to say, guys, you need to vote in the elections. That's number one. Number two, you, Erdogan, even if you get re-elected, you need to come closer to the democratic values. You need to speak to your people. It's absolutely, absolutely not acceptable to see the utility of illegal migrants that you know that they're illegal, that you transported from the eastern part of Anatolia and you brought them to the western parts of Turkey today in the borders of a European country and you literally threw them out. And you pushed them into this. If this is not a hybrid threat, if it's not a threat, what is? So they're not friendly. They're not friendly. They're not, they don't are not. They want to be friends. They believe what they believe because I'm not going to promote them now. I'm not going to say what they believe, what they want. I'm not going to do that. But I'm not also devaluing them and I'm not disrespecting them as they disrespected us or they do disrespect us for all these years, including also the illegal invasion of Cyprus. Mm -hmm. They need to sit down on all tables, and they need to learn how to treat with respect the other side, find an agreement, and live better years. There's much to be done. There's a bigger threat, and you you might laugh with this one, but I consider climate change as a bigger threat because climate change doesn't have borders and nationalities look also into the future the brighter future we're now exploring space you remember he wanted to have his own space dome he wanted to have his own space area right but you can't do it alone you can't declare i'm gonna have something to do with space because science is universal so you have to learn how to be with the international community The way that they go, they will be only friends with China and Russia. And China uses them because they want their market and they want their geographical region. They're going to be friends with Iran because they believe they can support Iran by keeping the regime there. Because it it gives more role to Turkey to be there for. Not because they like them. And not because they share thousands of years of history like Greece and Persia did. And they don't want to be with the Egyptians. They just want to control the Egyptians because they believe they want to be part of the Egyptians or or Libya, for that matter, or or, um, uh, Lebanon, for that matter, or Syria, for that matter. So the way that they comprehend may be good for them, but the rest of the world does not agree with it because we have learned to be equal among sovereign nations. And sovereign nations means at this stage, and we've, we've, we have we've went through a lot of wars with Greece and Turkey, that this is my land, this is your land. If you continue to do that, we can equally threaten them with a lot of things. I can give you a whole list of things that we can threaten them with, politically, diplomatically, religiously, economically, and goes on and on and on. Similarly, they keep alive the discussion of the Cyprus division. Why? They want to divide the land and if they if they don't push them to uh to be identified for they've done it multiple times, but now they're trying to do more organized and more steady. Like they, they started flying to opening up the illegal uh, airports, or they're trying to fuel field areas, or the area of Famagusta, for example, they're trying to open it up, or they unified the electricity grids and the and the oil grids, connecting ties and internet, it goes on and on and on this means that they will try to unify this area with turkey so this is expansion expansion in a european country this means war you you attack a european country into war the european union agreed to allow turkey to continue the akiko discussions on the basis of resolving the cyprus issue and not just keeping it alive the way that they want it and I, I, and I dare you for this, for one reason. If in the elections, Erdogan wins for some reason, you're going to see him flipping the coin and suddenly saying, we want to be European. We want to be close to the international community. It means the West. And suddenly everybody's going to go, hold on. Like a few months ago, you were threatening us. You're threatening with missiles. You're threatening European capital with missiles. And now you want to go back to negotiations? Just suddenly, just like that? It's because he would have guaranteed his electoral uh, space for Mm. the the next years to come. So what I don't like is that he does it with a conscience that he's the best and the rest of us should be only below anything and definitely him. No, it doesn't go like that.
0: Is there a future? uh, And, you know, we may be getting into complicated affairs over here, but. Because I've been following a couple of journalists that have suggested it, what's the future uh, of Turkey within NATO? Is there any possibility where they may be excluded, or is it, uh, you know, or those waters are way too troubled for for NATO to go into?
1: Let me let me uh, answer you by continuing a bit of the discussion because it it matters. In our think tank, the idea is to bring a dialogue. But the framework of the dialogue is exactly what I said. You should respect the other side, right? By doing what he does, he does not respect even NATO. While at the same time, he says that we are the most active country in operation. Look at what we're doing in Syria. Look what we're doing in Iraq. What are you doing? You asked for it. And more so, you asked to have a green zone, as you call it. We didn't ask for that. You went first time in Syria by claiming that there is a place of worship that you need to protect. You're claiming the war against terror. and In fact, they're doing this job against terror, but they're doing it a la carte. So they're choosing their battles. And while they're choosing the battles, every time they want to bombard Syria, they inform their allies when they're going to bombard so they can disappear and they can bombard it freely. NATO is not a la carte. It is not. NATO is there between equal members. Rules of NATO is to treat each other with respect and have decisions by consensus. What they've done to the Finns and the Swedes by stopping the negotiation process makes them look weak. Turkey, I mean, makes them look weak. You know why? Because on the one hand, they might say, we told you we did it. But no, they're weak. You know why they're weak? Because they would never sit down as a democracy to sit and discuss what they need. On the other hand, they do not comprehend that Finland and Sweden are democracies. And if there is an issue of crime, it should be dealt in the courts of Sweden and Finland. It is not of coincidence that the United States foreign, uh, state affairs, the, the United States uh, foreign um, uh, minister of Foreign Affairs, the State Department, mentioned that although they want them to be partners, they are very much afraid of the human rights, which means that even in Finland and Sweden wanted to extradite those people that were considered by Turkey to be terrorists, they are also afraid of how they will be treated if they bring them there into justice, which means that their human rights numbers are really low. Add to this the fact that he's fanatizing the people, and while he's fanatizing, he gathers more powers into his hands, you can understand that the discussion of Turkey into NATO is really ongoing.
0: Now, politically, I will
1: answer this question, politically and operationally, whether uh, the the constitution of NATO allows for Turkey to be thrown out, no. No. in 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 history of Greece at some point if you remember Greece left NATO and that was its choice which means that Turkey can only go by choice but they can be pushed to be to exit NATO being pushed means that they will be excluded from joint financial concerns or joint budgets or joint military affairs or joint exercise and so on, and so on somehow being shown the door this can be done
0: with respect to the issue with uh, uh, Sweden and, and Finland, you don't think that they still have chips in that game? Because, uh, you, you of know, the, they, they, over. They,
1: were, over. No, they,
0: they were excluded. And I mentioned the F-35 program, and um, it seemed as though for a while that it was a done deal. They weren't getting them. And then this issue came up with Sweden and Finland. And then somehow the F-35 program came back on the table. I think a week or two ago, uh, I read that um, President Biden authorized or gave the green light for the sale of F35s but there was some contest uh, there, there there was some um, specifically uh, senator menendez who was against it um and uh, he they came entered. out publicly and said that it would never pass but there seems to be some division also in the US now so uh, and that's why I asked you know what it, what is the
1: give and take here with turkey because there's all there turkey, always seems turkey to negotiate Turkey negotiated 72, if I'm correct, F-35s. They got delivered, I think, four. And some of their pilots went to training until the blockade was put at that time. And since then, the F-35s are waiting to be delivered, which are going to be bought by specific countries. And I believe that the UAE is going to buy plus Greece is going to buy. Um. So there goes the seventy-two they in the meantime they said okay well let's not negotiate finland and sweden let's negotiate finland and sweden over F 35 this is really lame lame excuse like what how can you say i want these people or you give me the f-35s and i don't ask for these people i mean what do you like what do you think it is a bit bazaar or something like what do you think it's a small bazaar where you're gonna you're gonna negotiate your your price and your range and stuff no That shows exactly the momentum that is now built in the political-level situation of how Turkey believes. And this is even more troublesome because it underestimates, or it tends to underestimate us, and the abilities that we have to comprehend how they think. Now, Menendez and all the senators and all the committees, they're against them. They're against them, plus their businesses, plus their people that were represented in this agreement on the F-35. So what did the Turks do again in this case? Uh, We change the committees, we change the people, and we change the businesses. Hold on. Again, you're underestimating my abilities. You don't aspire for trust. You're not trustworthy at this point. Like, don't you understand that? There are steps to build on trust. Now, I know that Turkey is a big market, and we all know it's a big market and you don't have another opportunity but to speak with them because they're your neighbors and yes ultimately in an ideal world you should trade and discuss and you know all together but what turkey has done over the years is that although it has managed to shape and reshape its economy and its people and its politics and evolve at the same time It did not manage to keep the trust, but actually bring a new model that does not include any longer Turkey as a viable partner. And while Turkey does this thing with F-35s, it attempted to buy Sukhoi's, it attempted to buy Eurofighters, it attempts to buy Chinese fighters, it attempts to give weapons to others. You know, Qatar's uh, Al Thani is helping Erdogan because uh, Erdogan helped Al Thani during the the, the 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 argument that was uh, between the GCC and, and, and Qatar that actually uh, put them out of the GCC correctly. So for what they've done, and he thinks he can negotiate over some power because it's a big country, it's a big market, it's a cheap market, uh, unlike the European market, which is more expensive, and so on and so forth this is not the way to negotiate and you know what this is a russian roulette he's playing a russian roulette and what he does right now is he's learning from the same path that putin has that's why the parallel pathways between erdogan and putin is closer and that's why they choose closer vibes and while he does this turkey is investigating on how to join brics
0: Interesting. Mario, let's wrap it up. Any message, uh, any closing remarks, any message you
1: want to send out to
0: our listeners and to our viewers?
1: Please keep on continuing reading and watching Strategy International. Um, We're doing the best that we can. We really believe in the dialogue of civilizations, also to include Turkey at some point, uh, as long as there is some democratic, democratic value added to this discussion. Um, we're doing a very good job from people from around the world. Um, and at the same time, let's be ready for all things that do matter. And that is the progress, the stability, the democracy, the dialogue, the respect and the tolerance according to, to the human rights, uh, charter and the, and the charter of the United nations as well. To be closer to each other, we need to negotiate and discuss the true elements, the true things that bond us together rather than apart. And while we do that, we hope that you're going to be reading our opinions, our risk analysis, uh, that we believe as scientists, that they meet the standards and the values of people to better learn, acquaint, and do also participate in this dialogue of civilization that we're trying to do. Thank you very much, George. And again, thanks to you. I mean, you've done an amazing job today and all other days as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Mario. Looking forward to uh, to seeing you or talking to you again. For everyone listening, thank you so much. You can find all the information at strategyinternational.org. Follow us on all social media platforms, the YouTube channel, all audio platforms for the podcast. Thank you again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to
0: the strategy international podcast produced by pod MTL for strategy international, feel free to subscribe rate and review it on apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for strategy international limited Cyprus, all copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.